Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. A quick warning, this episode of Switched on Pop does include a song with a single expletive, so maybe you want to um, earmuff the little ones. Charlie, let's play a word association game, okay? I'm going to say a word, you say the first thing that pops into your head. You ready? Let's do it. The word is the Jonas Brothers. Teeny Bopper. Good, another. Disney. Good, another. Not for me. Not for you. Who are they for, Charlie? Probably somebody under the age of 13. You're absolutely right. So even though this trio of young men have not exactly been critical darlings, I think if we look more closely at the works, you'll be surprised at how talented and original these three handsome boys actually are. (laughs) Okay, okay. But at this moment, two of the Jonas Brothers are attacking the pop charts, climbing their way up, and this is a chance for us to listen to these two artists and see how do you reinvent yourself from a teeny bopper into a mature solo artist. And along the way, we'll learn something about the music business and we'll see which Jonas brother is winning the battle. Which Jonas brother reigns supreme? Two Jonases enter, but only one Jonas can leave. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Two Jonas Brothers are climbing up the charts. We have the youngest of the Jonases, Nick, with his song Close featuring Tove Lowe. And then we also have the middle brother, Joe Jonas, and his band DNCE, which I guess is supposed to mean dance. But whenever I see it, I always think dunce. (laughs) And their song, Cake by the Ocean. These two songs have peaked at 26 and 9, respectively, on the Hot 100, making the case that the Jonas Brothers may be back. If you're a child star trying to reinvent yourself, how might you go about doing that? Well, you need to add some credibility. Okay. And so I think you can do that by either getting really serious and moody or by becoming a pop sex icon. Wow, you hit the nail on the head. Those are two well-trod roots. And I think these two tracks embody both of those persona. Hell yeah, I'm on it. All right, so let's dig in to Nick Jonas and his song Close to get a taste of the moody, mature route. They won't, they won't, they won't be careful but I guess that you don't know me Cause if I want you, and I want you, babe Going backwards, won't ask for space This space was just a word made up by someone who's afraid to get too close Oh, 
Okay, so if we're making the argument that this song is intended to project this moody, mature persona, how do you hear this track accomplishing that, Charlie? I don't know. You're the musicologist. You're probably hearing a lot more than I'm hearing. What do you hear? Well, now that you mention it, (laughs) for me, the moment of this song that seems to signal adulthood and sort of a, a certain world weariness is what's the to me the most exciting part of this song is the moment right before the chorus where all of the sudden a chasm opens up where the void exposes itself Ooh. in the pre-chorus Nick Jonas sings space is just a word made up by someone who's afraid to get to space was just a word made up by someone who's afraid to get to And then the pause, the void, the chasm, and then the release. Yes. (laughs) That's uh, that's called text painting. Yes. Bravo, Charlie. As in the music paints the lyric. And that's a cool thing. That's not something I hear in a lot of pop songs is this long pause that sort of then erupts into a chorus. And there's something about the the daringness of that silence, that that willingness to get close, right? To 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 cross the void hmm. that I feel is like very adult and mature and like maybe reflects a having been in a, a few relationships and knowing what it takes to really make that leap. Right. If he's more mature in his relationships and maybe hesitant about getting in too deep too quickly, he's also demonstrating compositional restraint, which I think is one of the signs of a, of a good songwriter. Speaking of good songwriting, there's one other little detail of that moment I love. What do you got? As he's going up to the brink of the void, he's slowly as- ascending a scale, right? Space was just a word made up by someone who's afraid to get to. F sharp, G sharp. A, B, and then he goes not continuing up the scale, but drops down to a kind of surprising note, down to an E. Ooh. And that E is the note that just sits there, echoing into the void, into the silence. Oh, so he drops the scale down into that chasm, that empty space. Yes, it's very hesitant, it's very uncertain. And by going to this E, which is not a note we've heard recently, we, di- we didn't hear it in the whole pre-chorus. Actually, probably the last time we heard it was way back. I mean, and by way back, I mean like 20 seconds ago in the <laughs> very start of the song, the beginning of the verse. The first note he sings yeah. is an E. Oh, damn, oh, damn, oh, damn, I'm so perplexed with just one breath of in. Oh, okay. So bringing us back to home. Yes. And bringing us back to the sort of place of uncertainty that the song starts in, Hmm. where he's feeling perplexed, where he's shocked. And then maybe the last thing before he takes the plunge into closeness and negating space is the memory of that, maybe the possibility of going back there. But he doesn't. When the chorus launches, he goes back to the B, and we feel that closeness. Space was just a word made up by someone who's afraid to get to close. Oh, 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 so close. Oh, mm. 
okay, so he retreats and then comes back up and says, okay, no, I'm I'm, a, I'm actually in it. In it to win it. In it to win it, exactly. I'm not going to go to E. Even though E is kind of nice, it's kind of major, it's kind of safe. Right? He's going to continue that upward motion and go back. Yeah, so the whole song is, am I going to commit? And I think that we get, I guess, at the very beginning, this hint of this underlying romance. It's the opening melody, right? That opening melody later gets picked up in the chorus as the main hook of the chorus. So what's kind of buried and hidden at the very beginning of the song, hinting at what's to come, turns into this this full commitment, the largest part of the song. Oh, okay. So what was hesitant at first becomes convinced by the chorus. Exactly. All right, Nick Jonas, I like what you're doing here. Okay, I see some begrudging respect in your tone here, Charlie. Do you think... Nick Jonas has successfully pulled off the transition from young starlet to moody, mature musician. It's catchy enough. I'm convinced. You're convinced. Okay. We've just explored Nick Jonas's new, vulnerable, sexy, cool, mysterious persona. In terms of lyrics, Charlie, this next song will give you much to chew on. (laughs) Now let's turn to his older brother, Joe. The band, again, is D-N-C-E. The song is Cake by the Ocean. Yeah, chew on it, Cake by the Ocean. I got it. So if Cake by the Ocean is trying to project this image of the bad boy party rocker, how is the song built to reinforce that image? Well, the first thing is the song is fun. It is, right? It's kind of hard to resist. Absolutely. I think the very first thing that I pay attention to is that surf riff on the guitar. It sounds like old surf rock, you know, let's all party and go down to the beach. The thing that I notice is it actually even shares a lot of the same notes as the most famous guitar line ever in surf rock, Miserulao. There's something there, right? Absolutely. Okay, so we've got the guitar featured prominently, kind of a retro surf vibe. We are ready to have a fun time. Yeah, and then on top of that, there's these layered in other guitars sort of referencing funk. And then to just top the whole thing off, 
to put a cherry on top, Ooh. if you will. I don't know. Dessert metaphor. Sorry. <laughs> Lyrically, he is trying to push social boundaries and be somewhat transgressive and saying he's going to get all screwed up and have a fun time. Right. Except he doesn't say screwed up, Charlie, does he? Trying to keep it PG. He says a bad word. He does. We get it. You're a bad boy. A Jonas brother swearing the horror. (gasps) That sound you just heard was me clutching my pearls, Charlie. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Saying some bad words, trying to be a bad boy. These wonderful lyrics full of curses and (laughs) um, sort of inept sexual innuendos. Apparently, the song title was coined by the Swedish producers behind this song who couldn't remember the English phrase sex on the beach. They thought it was cake by the ocean close enough same thing hearkening back to our episode on on max martin and nonsensical swedish lyrics there are some in this song that completely baffle me such as uh don't waste time with a masterpiece you should be rolling with me waste time with the masterpiece to waste time with the masterpiece Uh, you should be rolling with me you should be rolling with me Is that like saying you should lower your standards? I guess. Yeah, I guess so. It, I find it. I've never heard of a human referred to as a masterpiece, <laughs> but I get where they're trying to go with it. Yes. Yeah, totally, Charlie. In all these ways, Joe Jonas and Dunce, I mean Dance, <laughs> seem to be trying to project this image of the fun-loving bad boy partiers, edgy but not too edgy. Not too edgy. Can't be too edgy. Otherwise, it's not going to be on Top 40 Radio. What do you think? Are they successful? Are you swayed by their party rock anthem here? Yeah, they've successfully grabbed my attention. I had previously had never heard a Jonas Brothers song, and now I've heard two and enjoyed them quite a bit. Look at you. (laughs) Thinking of these two songs side by side now, Charlie, with your keen musical ear, I'm curious, even though they sound radically different on the surface, projecting these two differing musical personas... Do you see any commonalities between these tracks? Now that you say it, I think that there's actually quite a bit in common, despite the two very different moods that these songs are trying to capture. Yes, good. Tell me, tell me. The first thing I notice is that both songs are based off of one riff. Remember how we talked about that line in Close that kind of starts as an instrumental thing and then comes into the chorus? It's basically being played throughout most of the song. And then similarly, in Cake by the Ocean, the guitar line just plows on through. Oh no, let's start living dangerously. Waste time with the masterpiece to waste out of all this candy on the track. Keep on hoping we'll be Cake by the Ocean. Yeah, I totally agree. These are very riff-heavy songs that kind of get going at the beginning and pretty much chug on through the end. Not only that, both of them are using these kind of three-chord progressions. Throughout the entire song, hardly mixing it up. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Charlie, because you, you see both in Close and Cake by the Ocean, when you get to the chorus, there's no harmonic change. The only thing that changes is the texture, the instrumentation, the drum patterns, melody, the, the vocal harmonies. Come to think of it, neither of these songs has a bridge. They're both kind of just verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, 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 chorus. Yeah, that's exactly right. No bridge, almost identical forms. 
Can I blow your mind, Charlie? Go for it. These two songs by two different Jonas Brothers trying to project two very different visions of their mature comebacks are produced by, drumroll please, none other than the same exact Swedish producers. No! I, I cannot lie. They're trying to create their own individual identities and separate themselves from their boy band image. And the songwriters are the same. I know. Isn't it just, it's so perfect. (laughs) It's just like the music business in a Swedish nutshell. So are they really reinventing themselves? Charlie, that is precisely my burning question. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's delve into the Jonas Brothers back catalog and see if this is the only way that the Jonas Brothers could reinvent themselves. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. (laughs) I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. Because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. So, Charlie, now we go back to the beginning, the beginning of the Jonas Brothers career and possibly the end of my career because (laughs) I have been Googling these three young men so much that I am Almost without a doubt on some federal watch lists. Oh, no. And (laughs) the next time you see me may not be in L.A. or New York, but on To Catch a Predator. (laughs) But I do have to say that after this experience, I've come away with a lot of respect and affection for the, the Jonas Brothers originally. The, the sons of Jonas, actually. Really? Oh, okay. I didn't totally realize this, and I'm, I don't know about you, Charlie, though I, espe- I imagine you're as ignorant as I am. Yeah. I imagine the Jonas Brothers is kind of this manufactured Disney pop confection. What I learned was that they grew up playing music together, writing their own songs, playing their own instruments. Yeah. They were kind of child prodigies, honestly. Okay. And I think if we go back to their some of their earliest music, 
we can hear some other possible routes that the Jonas Brothers could have taken to their pop success had they not become part of the Disney monolith. If we go to a track from their first album, what we hear might surprise you. It's, to me, like garage rock, power pop, lots of distorted guitars, and like these exuberant choruses and Charlie Killer Bridges. Ooh, all right, I want to hear it. I know you love a good bridge. I do like that bridge. <laughs> Let's spin my favorite song from that record, Mandy. That's so different. That is not what I would have expected. Right? Okay, but let's get to the bridge, Charlie, because it is beer. What is up, vocal harmonies? That is nice. Yeah, man. When you've got a 14-year-old who can sing like an angel, man, you got to take advantage of that. <laughs> What's up, little Nick? Also, a great sort of a weird foreshadowing of the future that they don't know is coming when the, the protagonist of the song Mandy only likes boy bands in S Club 7. <laughs> but she only sang. Club 7 and all those boy bands. Like, oh, little do they know what is in store for them. So the future could have been so different. Yeah, right? If they had, like, stayed in the garage, if they hadn't been so darn cute, if they hadn't been so darn charismatic, if they hadn't, you know, started relationships with Demi Lovato and Miley Cyrus, maybe they'd just be some scruffy kids from Jersey playing rock and roll. <laughs> But, of course, that's not what happened. They get sucked into the Disney machine. Yeah. And if we flash forward a few years, uh, we can come to another hit that they still wrote, still still performed themselves, called Burning Up. And I think, I, I mean, I think it's still, I like this song, but I think you can hear that uh, their songwriting is becoming a little more contrived and a little more centrist. All right, let's check it out. Yeah, it's like uh, Disney said, can we make the killers but kind of cute? Around the same time, Charlie, yeah. they start writing for other artists. They compose and perform the majority of Demi Lovato's breakout album, Don't Forget. Yeah, all right. As a side note, Demi Lovato, a singer I'd never listened to before in my life, actually has a pretty great voice. Ooh, okay, cool. And again, I think we find on this record them writing really serviceable pop songs, like really effective, really catchy, 
but not with that spark of joy and exuberance that maybe we heard on their on their initial album. Like a little more calculated, perhaps. Hmm. Maybe more intentional composition. They're uh, growing up, becoming good songwriters. Precisely, yeah. There's a savviness there. They know their way around the industry. They know what people like. I mean, it's definitely impressive. I feel myself like I need to wind back a little bit and examine why did I have all these preconceived notions about the Jonas Brothers? I, I feel like I'm bringing this sort of rockish snobitude to <laughs> their music, which I really don't like that I'm doing that. Yeah, so where do you think that's coming from, Charlie? Well, part of it's coming from my snobbish tastes when I was, you know, that that young teeny bopper age, which have obviously evolved to incorporate lots of top 100 in a very celebratory way. But maybe it's just because they were young and marketed not to me. And so I just didn't pay attention. Yeah. And thus developed some sort of snobbish attitude. Which can turn into an aversion. Yeah, I don't like that. Youth in music has always been the subject of desire, fascination, repulsion, aversion. The Jonas Brothers, in a way, are not very new. Because if we go to one of the most famous composers ever, perhaps a composer synonymous with classical music, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Oh, you, you're bringing out some classical masters on me. <laughs> bringing out Wolfie. Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, I think if we look at the career of Mozart, you can see it's always been hard to be a child prodigy. And in a way, Mozart was actually in his own kind of family band. Really? So perhaps by looking at Mozart's early music and career, we can make you even more sympathetic to the Jonas Brothers, Charlie. Are you saying that Mozart was in a boy band? <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. All right, take me there. From the age of 6 to 16... Mozart was on the road, and most of that time he was on the road with his sister, Nanner. Like many great family bands over the years with sort of tragic backstories, the Beach Boys, Jackson 5, for instance, mm. Mozart and his sister were governed by a domineering father, Leopold, and they their childhoods were very stunted. You know, they didn't have a normal upbringing, just like the Jonas Brothers did not have a normal upbringing. Maybe more violins, fewer electric guitars. <laughs> yeah, precisely. What's astonishing about Mozart is how capable he is at such a young age. I mean, we can listen to an opera that he wrote at the age of 12, Charlie. Oh, my God. Called Bastien und Bastien. How many how many operas did you write uh, by 12 again, Charlie? Well, I wrote some really dramatic poetry. It's close, right? <laughs> That's a start, yeah. As a side note, this opera was commissioned by none other than Franz Mesmer. Oh, yes, of course, Franz Mesmer. The inventor of hypnosis. Oh, Mesmer, mesmerize. Booyah. Ah, <laughs> you, you catch on quick, young Harding. Thank you. So let's listen to the overture of this opera. Now, our keen-eyed classical fans out there will notice a resemblance in this bit of Mozart juvenilia to one of the most famous pieces of Western history, Beethoven's Third Symphony, the Eroica. <laughs> You put them back to back, and 
Wow, it is striking. Oh, yeah. Now, did Beethoven rip off a 12-year-old boy for his one of his most famous compositions? Hard to say. Probably not. But still, a striking parallel. If I may be so bold, I'll, I'd, I'd like to make one more Mozart Jonas Brothers parallel. Mozart, perhaps because his childhood was so stunted, was always looking to goof off. He wrote some wonderfully silly songs, including this great one called Bona Knox. Bona Knox. So the lyrics to this, Charlie, are Good night, you are quite an ox Good night, my dear Lata Good night, fooey fooey Good night, good night We still have far to go today Good night, good night Poop in your bed and make it burst Good night, sleep tight And stick your butt to your mouth What? Mozart? What's so brilliant is not only does he write this silly song in multiple languages, including Latin, German, Italian, and English. Yeah. If that wasn't enough, he sets the whole thing in a canon. Meaning that everything is repeating over and over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this silly song is in immaculate, perfect, intricate counterpoint. Because, of course, Mozart. <laughs> Even his fuller song is expertly composed. And just like the Jonas Brothers needed to release steam with some goofy songs of their own, such as Bounce. I'm the kind of guy that likes to scream. And all these other people want to do it like me. So bounce, just bounce. Let me see that body bounce. Because my run is so fly and my jeans are so tight that I make these people bounce. Bounce. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's like the Lonely Island and the Jonas Brothers got together. Yeah, well, when your childhood is taken away from you, you need to act out a little bit. Stupid videos on YouTube that over 11 million people watch, just like a normal teenager. <laughs> right, right. That's the difference. So Mozart must have had an awkward teen period where he then had to step out and try to distinguish himself as a nuanced adult composer. Did he go moody and broody or sex icon? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a tough transition from the child wonder. All of a sudden, you're an adult and you're not a wonder anymore. You're just a composer trying to make a living in uh, 18th century Vienna. <laughs> Poor guy. He's like both Jonas Brothers at once in a way because he'll do whatever he needs to do to put food on his plate, basically. Okay. So if someone commissions him to write a brooding, dark Requiem Mass, he will do it and it'll be the most haunting, introspective thing you've ever heard in your life. And if someone needs him to write a ribald opera lampooning the sexual mores of <laughs> Enlightenment society, he will give you a Figaro or a Don Giovanni that is just pure sex party anthem. He made it out of those awkward years successfully. Yes, he did. He did. It was, it was a bit rocky but he eventually got there. So, Charlie, as we wrap up, I 
don't mean to suggest that the Jonas Brothers are Mozartian. I don't mean to suggest that had they not fallen into the clutches of Disney, they would have been, you know, the next Beach Boys or something. But I am curious, after doing this deep dive through the Jonas discography with me, are your preconceived notions changed? Do you think about these young men differently now? Well, obviously, because you made some erudite reference to Mozart, you've convinced me. The <laughs> Dropped the M-bomb. <laughs> but in all seriousness, my perspective has definitely evolved. In fact, I'm not really proud of how I felt about their music at the beginning of the show. You want to make an on-air apology? Nick, Joe, Kevin, I'm deeply sorry for being a snobby bastard about your music. Here's the thing. I think that music marketed to kids, I hear as inherently more produced or contrived than the rest of pop radio. But let's be honest, all pop radio is massaged for a mass audience, is produced, has a machine of people working behind it, has dozens of collaborators in the studio, everything being polished just perfectly for a release which is expected to perform extremely well. So when I look at it, I just don't see that much difference between music which is marketed to kids versus music which is marketed to all of us. And it all deserves a deep look. Wow. I'm going to start a slow clap in my bedroom by myself and see if anyone joins in. Charlie, I totally agree. And I will say that listening to their early material, part of me thinks maybe they should go back to their roots to reinvent themselves. Not hire the slickest producers, but go back to what made them successful in the first place and and maybe see if there's something there that will rejuvenate their careers i like some of those fun guitars and vocal harmonies but <laughs> there's some fun stuff there even these new songs i like them they're fun they're catchy yeah i totally agree and and above all you've definitely convinced me hey these guys can sing they can play their instruments they have talent which lets me know that there could be a lot more coming out of them in the future Well, this has been another riveting week of Switched on Pop with me, Nate Sloan. And me, Charlie Harding. We also got editing and production support from our team, Susan, Pergo, and Mike. And our logo has been designed by the fourth Jonas brother, Luke Harris. You can also talk to us on Twitter at Switched on Pop. We love taking song recommendations there. You can find past episodes on our website, www.switchedonpop.com. And just as the Jonas Brothers are trying to prove their worth in a crowded field, so are your humble podcasters here. If you will leave us a review on iTunes, goes a long way towards staking our claim to the pop throne. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Switched on Pop. And until then, thanks, thanks for, listening. for listening. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. 
You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.